0: we all appreciate your listening to this podcast this is actually a re-record tommy and i had some issues with audio from our first attempt so this is a re-record a week later so we appreciate the listen and if there are any content issues on our memories that's just because we were taking a little break from reading this and had to do our best on recalling but again We wanted to get you this content. It's very important to us that we stick to our word when we tell you that we are going to be putting out a book review on a specific book so that if you guys decide to follow along, we are getting you what we promised. So we appreciate the listen. Hello and welcome back to Brace. On today's episode, Tommy and I are going to be reviewing Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win by Jocko Willink and Leith Babin. This book is split up into three sections. Part one is Winning the War Within, part two is Laws of Combat, and part three is Sustaining Victory. Each of these sections are split up into chapters that each deal with one leadership principle And each of the chapters is split up into three different sections, the first being their direct experience with that principle on the ground in our Ramadi, Iraq. The second is what the principle is that they're really trying to get us to understand. And the third is its application to business. I thought that the book started off very fast and well with the first chapter, Extreme Ownership. The titular chapter gets into how Important it is to take ownership of everything in your direct area. So if there's something that you have to do with, it doesn't matter if other people are involved and you might be able to lay some blame with them. You have to take it on yourself to say, what did I do wrong here and what can I do better in the future? So, Tommy, what did you get out of that first chapter? And give me your thoughts kind of going into the book. How did it go?
1: So, to me, extreme ownership. You know, it really sets itself up in the first chapter, talking about how as a leader, right, this book is all about leadership, how you have to take on everything. By taking on everything, you know, it allows you to then go into the other chapters and understand it through an extreme ownership lens. And I think that's really important. So it it definitely sets the stage at the start. The story they talk about while in Ramadi is a blue on blue incident. A blue-on-blue incident is when there's friendly fire. And so with this friendly fire event, Jocko goes back and after the mission is complete, starts trying to understand what went wrong and who to blame, who to point to. And I thought it was very important that he talked about what actually happened at the end-up meeting. So the end-up meeting, he asked the group, whose fault was it? And a few different SEALs raised their hand with different, hey, it was my fault. And he's like, no, no, no. And instead takes all the blame on himself. And what I think this really shows is that if you're the leader and you're not even at the point of the mission, you still are important in training your guys, making sure that they understand the mission, making sure that communication is thought through and and thorough. And I think the way he describes extreme ownership at the end of the chapter
0: is, uh, Tommy, if I might interject here. So one thing that I really want to highlight about this chapter is that the principal section is less than two total pages, and the chapter itself is 23 pages. So he tells a huge story and then is able to isolate it down very quickly into what the huge takeaway is. And I think the way that he isolates that down is, is really well done. He highlights the leader must own everything in his or her world. And that's really the, the key point of that entire section. And there's a lot of takeaways as well. He talks about how if an individual on the team is not performing at the level required for the team to succeed, the leader must train and mentor that underperformer. If the underperformer continually fails to meet standards, then a the leader who exercises extreme ownership must be loyal to the team and the mission above any individual. And extreme ownership requires leaders to look at the organization's problems through an objective lens of reality without emotional attachments to agendas or plans. And I think that how he talks about that and looking at how he had to embody that in a situation that is basically, according to them, like the cardinal sin, the worst thing that's possible is friendly fire is is a blue on blue. So that ability to take a step back and look at that situation through an objective lens and then take the extreme ownership and say, yes, these people did these things a little bit wrong. But that was only possible because I didn't lay out the mission the way that I needed to and communicate effectively and do all of these things right. Um, so I thought that was big.
1: 100%.
0: So the way they go on
1: in the book is every chapter is a different leadership topic. And as I read this book, in my position, I've been you know trying to engage and use these methods and ideologies and started taking extreme ownership of everything that I can control and have influence over at my job so overall i mean thoroughly every single chapter is important in understanding how to communicate how to work with others how to train how to lead keeping it simple looking at just you know the different chapter titles no bad teams only bad leaders that story there was really interesting where leaf actually went back to teach and train seals during hell week And what he talks about during Hell Week is one boat crew was doing really well, was winning every single race, and and they got extra time to sit out when they won the race. And the other boat crew was doing horribly, was losing at the end of every single race. They had almost no time for breaks, and then they had to get right back into it. The trainers decided to switch the leaders on each boat crew. And all of a sudden, the boat crew that was sucking, was not doing well at all, flipped. Now it had, you know, started winning the races. So it was really interesting, just as that one anecdote, to understand how the leadership and the mission or the goal of a team is really dictated by the leader. And if the leader is not doing what they need to be doing, they need to either be moved or switched or see it from a new perspective. Another chapter is talking about following, knowing when to follow. And sometimes if you're not in the position to lead, you sometimes need to take a step back and and let someone take charge and start to be a follower. And you can be a leader by following as well. And that's talked about in the chapter on the dichotomies of leadership near the end of the book, where it talks about how you have to balance different characteristics. So that was a lot of what I'm finding and enjoying throughout the book. What other chapters really stood out to you, Paul?
0: There were a couple, Um, first of all, just to touch on what you were talking about there very quickly on the no bad teams, only bad leaders. I had a couple of things highlighted that stuck out to me, and one is leaders must accept total responsibility, own problems that inhibit performance, and develop solutions to those problems. Again, it really boils it down into a single sentence of of what the ethos of the book is. And then uh, another is that it's a difficult and humbling concept for any leader to accept, but it's an essential mindset to building a high-performance winning team. And if you've been a part of any group projects, if you've been a part of anything where you have to establish who a leader is or who a centralized person that's going to make the decisions on the project is, if you've ever had someone in those situations that isn't decisive, that isn't maybe even forceful or really taking ownership of it completely, you can always see how there are gaps that come up in those situations and cause issues and and ultimately lead to a poorer performance. Those couple of things were were big for me. Some of the other chapters, to to answer your question, that stuck out to me were prioritize and execute, chapter seven, simple, chapter six, actually, and then leading up and down the chain of command, chapter 10, were, were some of the ones that really stuck out to me as maybe not anything that was necessarily new to me, but developed an idea that I already had in a way I hadn't thought of. It would be impossible for them to write this book if it wasn't how the military has to operate that gave them this context. But it's amazing to see how in the application to business portions, they were able to take all of these principles and make it a successful way to run a business. When talking about the chapter on making it simple, as a salesperson, I'm very aware of incentives and ways that I get paid, right? That it's a big part of my job is to make sure that I'm hitting these goals because that's what my company needs in order to be successful and that's what I need in order to be successful financially. So, one of those stories is about a company that has this very complex way of incentivizing its workers and it's so complex that none of the workers actually really understand how they get paid differently on a week to week basis. And so, first of all, Jocko just asks the question of, are you getting the results that you'd want from this incentive structure? And they say, actually, you know, no, we haven't had any real change in productivity. We haven't had anything going well here since we've put this together. And He says, well, that's because they don't understand what's going on. So just the importance of making something as simple as possible while still achieving the end result you're looking for is so key. And in a a leadership position, making it so that the people underneath you understand what and why you're doing is so big. And and I think that chapter really hit that home for me. Uh, Did you get that as well?
1: Yeah, I think that making it simple is an important part of almost anything, especially when starting out. So the thing that it reminds me of, and I'll actually draw a few lines to some other chapters as well, but is Atomic Habits, where they talk about the two-minute rule, right? When starting out a habit, do something that's very simple, that only takes two minutes, and it's more about frequency and showing up, getting the experience, and then making it more challenging, right? So I think that is kind of One of the things that I thought of when looking at that chapter on simplicity, but some other things that I think even just as you talked about, prioritize and execute, right? This incentive structure was set up in order for the workers to understand where they need to be working in order to help the business with the mission, right? And then it also draws a line to believe chapter three, where in chapter three, it's all about the what and the why. Explaining that this is what our overall mission is and this is how you can help us succeed in that mission, right? Making sure that by keeping it simple, it helps your workers on the ground doing the work, prioritize and execute so that they know where they need to be working. And it all comes down to, again, extreme ownership, right? The leaders at the top, if they're setting the mission, they need to own the communication up and down all the way, right? So those were just some of the different Kind of lines I drew between some of these chapters and how they all relate,
0: yeah. they really do all mesh together really well. and I, I agree with you that it's fascinating to me how they split up the book in different sections, but it felt like some of the chapters across the sections really were sister chapters or, or they relate to each other very well. And yeah, with prioritize and execute, that one stuck out to me just because, one thing he says in that chapter is the process was not intuitive for most people, but could be learned, built upon, and greatly enhanced through many iterations. So the ability to prioritize and then move on those priorities is big in any venture that you're going through. So whether you're just a college student that has seven papers due over the next two weeks, being able to then prioritize and execute is huge. And I think that's something that isn't necessarily focused on in our education system as a tool in the toolkit. And that's something that I think if it was, there would be a lot better educational outcomes across the spectrum.
1: From my own personal experience, I think I had a difficult time prioritizing what to be doing. And that led to procrastination. So instead of doing those seven papers over two weeks, it would all come down to the last night. Now I was rushing through. By Being able to prioritize, you can focus on one item at a time. This is the most important thing that I need to be doing right now
0: in order to achieve the mission. And that's just on an individual level. And one other thing, this will probably be the biggest section that I read directly from the book, but he lays out the points on how to implement, prioritize, and execute in any business team organization. And in order to do that, he says a leader must evaluate the highest priority problem, Lay out in simple, clear, and concise terms the highest priority effort for your team. Develop and determine a solution. Seek input from key leaders and from the team where possible. Direct the execution of the solution, focusing all efforts and resources towards this priority task. Move on to the next highest priority problem. Repeat. And when priorities shift within the team, pass situational awareness both up and down the chain. Don't let the focus on one priority cause target fixation, maintain the ability to see other problems developing and rapidly shift if needed. And those last two points were the ones that were a bit of a mindset shift to me where it felt like the first part all made sense on, okay, this is how you prioritize and execute. But the ability to make sure that the communication is there up and down an organization or up and down a structure is huge when prioritizing because We've all been in a situation where there is a new dynamic that's introduced, and then the priorities have to change immediately. And then also not getting the target fixation. I think that's one where quite often that's a fatal flaw in an organization is they get that target fixation, especially you look at some businesses where they just don't adapt with the times and they don't change as new technology or new infrastructure is being introduced. And that's why we see big companies fail. So I I thought that those really were well put.
1: Yeah, just from my own experience in manufacturing, sometimes we have breakdowns. So we have a list of priorities and whether that be focused improvement projects or things to overall make the plant run smoother, sometimes we have to shift our focus, right? So being agile and understanding that there is a priority list, but being able to adjust and switch to the now newest, highest priority. It's a very important skill to have, but something I think should not be lost on that is understand that maybe you have to shift your focus, but be able to, after that focus has been shifted, after that breakdown has been fixed, to get back to what that number one priority was. Because sometimes those things get lost in all the chaos of something changing, right? So making sure that you document, you understand what you need to get back to working on after shifting that focus, that's also very important when you're prioritizing and executing.
0: Yep, makes total sense. I have a question for you though. I know that one of the chapters that you got the most out of was the last chapter, discipline equals freedom, the dichotomy of leadership. So I want you to speak on that a little bit on what stuck out to you. And I know that in a sense caused you to prioritize and execute on reading their next book. So what was it that really stuck out to you that made you go this is big for me?
1: Yeah, so the dichotomies of leadership, understanding that you need to have a balance between all these different characteristics is super important, right? So this chapter hit me a lot and it's important to understand that everyone you work with probably has a different balance of these attributes, right? And trying to find the correct balance with each individual you're trying to lead, or even when we're leading up, and I'll take it back a chapter to leading up and down where you need to be able to question, criticize, make sure you understand what the mission is from your boss so that you can feed that down further. Right. But some of the things in here, that really stuck out to me, a leader must be able to lead, but also be ready to follow. So this is one example. A leader must be aggressive, but not overbearing. A leader must be calm, but not robotic. So there's all these different dichotomies where you would think that maybe you just need to be aggressive, but by being too aggressive, you may push away some people that are not as willing to accept that aggression. Being able to adjust and Once you, and I'll take it back to Decentralized Command, which is another chapter, Decentralized Command is all about making sure that your underlings or the people that are below you are able to rise to the occasion and lead on their own. By being overbearing, you don't give your younger leaders a chance to lead. And that stunts their growth. And it also puts more responsibility. And now you as a leader can't focus on the bigger picture. The idea behind that decentralized command is that I can focus on the bigger picture because the people below me all understand the mission and can all lead their separate parts of the business. It's probably, to me, the most important chapter, this dichotomies of leadership, the discipline equals freedom, because it just shows that leading is difficult and leading any two individuals is going to be different, right? Your approach to how you speak to them, how you kind of explain the mission could be Slightly different, how you motivate them, how you get them to pursue the goal in order to help drive the mission forward. Definitely one of my favorite chapters. Leaders must have a competitive spirit, but also be gracious losers, must be strong, but likewise have endurance, attentive to details, but not obsessed by them. And this chapter really kind of hits home all the other chapters where it's talking about the balance of each one of these little things, but this chapter kind of shows. By the way, it's challenging. It's hard. You have to be able to adapt and adjust and
0: be able to lead in different ways. So you found that one to be the most important chapter. For me, leading up and down the chain of command was the most important chapter. And that's because you may not find yourself at the top of a, a, a team or an organization where the leadership has people below you. But the ability to, wherever you are in a chain of command, be a leader is so huge. And he describes well how to do that. And that is taking extreme ownership and everything in your world, in your part of the organization, and doing everything you're supposed to do and doing it well and not complaining. So that if there's a time when you're given a task or you're given a directive that you know isn't the best use of your time, isn't the right thing to do in that situation, it allows you to have the credibility within the organization to step up and lead up the chain of command and say, this isn't what we need to be doing here. And if you have all of that credibility of not complaining and doing what you need to do and being someone that executes on their directives, they will then respect you and say, okay, what should we be doing? Why do you say that? And really be open to listening and be open to taking your feedback. Whereas if you're someone that complains or doesn't do your work or doesn't whatever it is, if you don't have that credibility, then you lose the opportunity to lead up the chain of command. And I think that, you know, unless you're a CEO, unless you're the owner of a company, you're not going to be the person that has everyone below you and you're the final decision maker. So it's going to be something that everyone can apply of, I need to do what I should be doing in my world, in my part of the organization, so that when the time comes, I can lead if I need to.
1: Yeah, so what really stuck out to me in that chapter was the application to business. And it talked about how a bunch of managers had heard the mission from the CEO or the exec. And because she was a strong businesswoman, none of them questioned her. But what Jocko and Leaf talked about With the managers, was if you guys don't understand, how are you supposed to lead down? You need to be able to question her and don't be afraid, be willing to question and have her help understand what your mission is so that you can lead it down. If your leader or if your manager or if your boss doesn't know that you have a complaint or a question, they can't read minds, they're not going to be able to explain to you in a maybe more concise or in a in a better version what the mission is or what the objective is without you questioning it reminds me of the book outliers where they talk about i believe it's the korean airlines it's right before a plane crash occurs and in that society they were not supposed to be questioning their leadership so the pilots flying and maybe 30 seconds prior to the plane crashing someone says something and it's disregarded and they don't even question it again. You may have some understanding or remembrance of that chapter that maybe I don't.
0: Yeah, it's they go through the black box of what happens right before a plane crash. And they understood that because it's such an obedient society, it's it's one where there's so much respect given to your elders or those in a position of power above you, that even though the co-pilot knew that something bad was happening. He says one small thing early on that's disregarded. And then with 30 seconds left, he says something that in a Western society in America today, we would look at as not really raising any serious red flag, but offering a potential other option or maybe a slight concern about something. And that is also disregarded. And then the plane crashes 30 seconds later. And, They had to really revamp the entire organization because of that when they realized that this is what the society looks like so that there was a lot more specific empowerment of the people in the chain of command to question leadership or or to make their, their thoughts known. Because if everything stayed the same, they wouldn't have that empowerment. They wouldn't have that ability to make those concerns known. And yeah, it's a great example. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's that's a book that if uh, our audience hasn't read, it's a, it's a great book. I really enjoyed. So yeah, I think you have one on the list, right? That is by the same author?
1: Yes. Uh, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. So hopefully we'll be reading that in the near future as well.
0: That'll be a good one. Tommy, is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with about this book in terms of the content? Or should we move on?
1: I guess the only thing I would say really about the content is it's all important whether you're a leader or a follower. It is good to understand the different leading methodologies so that if you're in a lower position on the totem pole, you can still lead up. That plays into it. But also understanding methods by which you can become a leader in your own world. By taking extreme ownership, you can become. leader in what you do. You can inspire others by being the best associate that you can be at whatever level you're at. But really, I mean, it's truly an incredible book. I know we're going to do our rankings uh, momentarily, but I truly enjoyed it and I'm definitely going to be reading the sequel. Just being in a leadership position, I know that the more that I can consume and the more that I can understand and see different methods, the better I'll be able to use them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. My last thought, and I don't remember where it's stated in the book, but one thing that stuck out to me that I can leave our listeners with as a thought is they describe how no matter who you're with and what your boss is, who your boss is, what their methodologies are for leading, you should always strive to have the same relationship with your boss. And to me, having a lot of different types of bosses with a lot of different personalities and a lot of different leadership styles, I found that to be A jarring thought, just because I've had bosses that are more micromanaging and tyrannical, and I've had bosses that really encourage that ownership and, you know, are very results oriented and whatnot. So trying to imagine having that extreme ownership enough that you are in control of those relationships and can manage them so that they are the same, it's a good goal to have. So I think that that was one where no matter who you are, I imagine you have a boss if you're listening to this and trying to strive to have that same relationship with all your bosses is awesome. But you're right, we are moving on to the ratings. So Tommy, where do you put this?
1: Okay, Paul, so I'm I'm taking a look at uh, what you just showed me with uh, the different rankings. I believe that this is probably the second best book I've read of the books that we've been reading. I'm going to place it lower than How to Stop Worrying and Start Living just because I think that applies to everybody at every time. There are some people that maybe don't have bosses or don't want to be leaders, although I still think it's important to understand that. I think How to Stop Worrying applies probably more, and giving that a 9.5, I'm going to have to give this one a 9.4. It's It's right up there.
0: Okay. I agree that it's an awesome book and I very much enjoyed it. And even though I don't have anyone working directly below me in my professional life, as I said, there are the the principles of how to be a leader wherever you are that I think anybody can learn from. And even if you, you want to take it in your personal life, being a, a father or mother, you know, leading in a family, I think you can apply some of those same principles really well. However, I think a lot of the books we've read this year, this past over a year that we've been reading books together have been awesome and, and great books. And so I'm this will probably be the biggest discrepancy in scoring that you and I have on a single book, but I'm giving it an 8.4, putting it right along there with mere Christianity in terms of value. But, you know, uh, I still think that Atomic Habits was a book that I would probably suggest to more people uh, just in terms of the applicability in, in an individual's life. So, yeah, there we go. And... Do you want me to go ahead and introduce the book that we will be reading together next?
1: Well, considering I just ordered it, I'll let you uh, introduce it.
0: Okay. Well, this is a a longer book, and it's one that has been on my list for a while just because I was in a bookstore one day, and they had a deal of four books for $20, and I was looking through the list, (laughs) and I said, wow, that I bet is a fascinating book. I should give it a, a, a read. So it's called Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life by Greg LaVoy. I'm very much looking forward to it. I've started it and it starts off really with a bang on understanding what brings you awe in life and, and, and what that experience really is. So got a lot of reading to do still, but I'm very much looking forward to reviewing that one with you. And we have introduced over the past couple of months, A number of different formats for episodes as you might have seen a couple of weeks ago our interview with our good friend josh cummings came out on discipline and accountability in the 75 hard that was a a very fun episode and we also had a couple as you guys would have seen as well individual book reviews that just one of us have read Uh, And we will have some more formats coming out very soon and and different interviews with different types of people. And we're very excited for those as well. So please leave us comments on what your thoughts are. If you're looking for specific questions for us to ask or answer uh, and really what you're getting from these episodes, because we're very excited to bring you a variety of different types of content. uh, But we want to make sure that we're providing you the value that you're looking for here.
1: I would totally agree.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening, and have a great day.
1: Goodbye. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this Brace podcast. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it.